I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And um, we last week saw some very important truths. Again, that's what we're doing in this study is trying to learn the lessons from that first church and, and important truths that stand still today. And uh, again, there's some very important things I think it's vital for us to grab hold of and not just learn, but live by. And, and that's essential for us today uh, to do. Our challenge and charge is that we should be at the very least um, finishing as strong as the first church started. And I, I say at the very least because we have 2,000 years of church history to build off of what the first church was doing. And so when, when we look back 2,000 years ago and we see what they were doing, 2,000 years have passed. And so for us, we have so much help and so much information and so much history in the church that we should be, I believe, more prominent, more uh, with greater strength in this end time than the first church was. Some argue that they had the advantage. Many of them saw the resurrected Christ and, and said, well, if I was able to see Jesus Christ in person resurrected, then I would live with that same surrender. I would live with that same passion that the first church lived with. I would say, again, I think we have the blessing of over 2,000 years of church history, seeing, seeing the power of God demonstrated year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. We are the church 2,000 years later. We, I believe, have the advantage. The church, no matter what persecution or affliction it's gone through, has made it through and has, re, has resoundedly made it through. So again, in, in 2020, the church should be a powerful force in this world. And, and I want to say this, the, the, um, the, the persecution that our brothers and sisters are facing around the world because they are Christians is something that may be foreign to us. But man, let us never forget what our calling is in this world, even if we're not facing persecution. And that's to be the light, to reach the lost with the gospel, and to teach others to follow Christ, to make disciples on this earth. That's what our calling is. Not, not to be comfortable American Christians, not to, not to be uh, in love with the idea of, of Jesus being the only way and the fact that we're going to heaven being the, the, the only thing that drives us in our life. We should be absolutely surrendered and identified with that truth. Not just the idea of it, but it should, should permeate every aspect of our life. Jesus said in John chapter 20, have you believed because you've seen me? And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, we've, we've learned these truths. We've seen these, these things in the first church. And last week, again, seeing Peter and John going into the temple at the third, uh, at 3 p.m., the, the, the hour of prayer and um, healing, or the Lord healing through them, this man who's 40 years old who had been lame from his mother's womb, laid every single day at the gate called Beautiful. And again, in the power of the name of Jesus, this man stands up is healed, walks and leaps, praising God, entering into the temple with these men. The Bible told us last week that everybody saw him doing two things that he had never done before. That, that's an amazing thing. It was very clear they said, we've, we've never seen this man do this, and now he's doing this again. Two things, this man's life was changed. It was evident that, number one, he was walking into the temple versus sitting outside of the temple. And he was praising God. 
goes on to tell us that they knew it was that lame man. They knew it was him. And they were all filled, the Bible says, with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And again, I want to remind you, if you were here, if you weren't here, here are the things, the truths, the lessons that we saw from last week. Number one was, no matter how far you've strayed, you are still here on this earth. And so God still desires to use you. And you may not feel like God desires to use you. You may not feel like that you're worthy. But again, that's what we talked about with Peter. Peter cursed the Lord, ran away, went back fishing. Jesus called him back. And now Peter was the one that God was using to grab this man's hand and lift him off the ground to see him walk for the first time. If you're still here, God's not done with you. And that's what we said. If you're not gone, God's not done. Number two was God blesses us so that we can bless others. We're not here to just accumulate everything and live for ourselves and be self-absorbed and, and just want our little, you know, uh, nugget of, uh, of goodness in this life. No, we're not here for ourselves. When God pours out blessings on our lives, he does so that we can bless others. Peter said very clearly this, man, I don't have, I don't have money. But I have something way more valuable than money, and I'm going to give it to you right now if you'll receive it. Number three, no situation, no life is too grim for Christ to transform. So again, maybe you're here and you feel like that you are disconnected from God. Maybe you've never placed your faith in the Lord, or maybe you have, and you've strayed far from the Lord. Listen, you haven't gone too far for, for, for the Lord to reach out and pull you back. You're, you're not too far lost for the Lord to save you. And then the fourth lesson was gratitude and praise are the natural result of a life that has truly been transformed. If you have been transformed, if your life has been changed by the power, by the blood of Jesus Christ, then there's nothing else that can come from a transformed life than gratitude and praise. And I challenge you, if you're, if you're here and you say, I know my life has been changed, I know I'm saved, I know I'm on my way to heaven, I, there's no question in my mind. And if your life right now isn't demonstrating gratitude and praise for what God has done in your life, then I, I want to urge you again, evaluate what you're focused on. Evaluate who, who you, who's, who's, uh, your eyes are set on. Very important points, but we're going to move forward this morning to see some more lessons, some more points for us to grab hold of, again, to be the church in the last days. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll move forward. Lord, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for all that you do. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us and so long-suffering. Thank you for giving us eternal hope. Thank you for giving us confidence that because you're alive, we have life. Lord, thank you for uh, all the many promises and the goodness, Lord, that you give us in this life. And I pray that our lives would be those lives, not only transformed, but clearly demonstrating uh, gratitude and praise, Lord, clearly living for you for the eternal purpose that we still are on this earth for. Many have gone before us. Many have run the race and finished their course. Lord, we we see their examples before us, and I pray that we would run hard, that we would, we would love, that we would share the gospel. We would invest in the eternal. God, you'd be glorified, not only in, in this, but in, even in this service particularly, Lord. And we ask that your spirit would move and have your way in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 3, we pick up in verse 12. Peter saw it. He responded to the people. What did he see? Peter saw that all the people saw this man walking and praising God, and they were filled with wonder and amazement is what Scripture says. And so Peter notices that the whole crowd of people in the temple 
are just at awe at this man, filled with gratitude, leaping, praising God, something he had never done before. So Peter seizes the moment and he says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why, why is your mind blown? Why are you captivated by this? Or why, why you look so intently at us? Why are, you, why are you looking at this man and saying, wow, and then looking at Peter and John and saying, oh, man, these, this is amazing. He said, why are you doing that? As though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man to walk. Now, I want you to remember, again, what we just revisited about Peter. Peter knew that it wasn't about him. Peter knew more than anybody that he was not worthy. It wasn't too, too far gone out of his mind that he had been the one that was cursing Jesus Christ's name. He was the one that had walked away and ran, ran away. He was the one that went back to the, 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 the fishing hole, the Sea of Galilee. He was the one. And I don't think it was too far out of John's mind that even though he was there, he also was one that ran. So with the passionate conviction that I believe that they were serving the Lord with right now, Peter begins to preach to this crowd that was gathered in amazement. And I want to say right off the bat, number, point number one is this. It's important to give God glory for the work that he does. That's the truth. That's one of the things that stands out of, uh, again, this first church. Peter, in this moment, ha had just been used by God to, to see this man who had never walked for 40 years to, to stand up and walk. And not only that, see a transformed life, go into the temple the first time. Praising God, bring, giving glory to God. And, and you know, it, it's in man's selfish nature to take praise from other men. That's, that's the way it is. In, 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 in man's nature, the, the nature of mankind, we are looking for that pat on the back. It's man's nature to take credit. Many times we can become insistent that others recognize what we've done. Well, there's nothing wrong with affirming others. Somebody did something. Somebody, uh, you know, God used somebody to do something. Said, praise God. Thankful for you. There's nothing wrong with affirming or giving credit. What we say where credit is due. There's nothing wrong with encouraging people. But it's very important that we're careful to maintain the right perspective in what we do and why we do it. It's so important that when we serve others and we serve the Lord and, and we're being obedient, that we're not doing it because we want somebody to recognize maybe just how spiritual we're being. It's important that we, 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 we keep, keep our, our hearts and our minds, our, the why, the motivation of our life is, is we want to make sure that it's, we're doing it for the glory of God and not so that somebody sees us and says, man, that's amazing. There's no question that there are some people who's Life goal is to be known, right? They, they, they make it known in the world that they want to be something in the world. They want to do something. They want to be somebody where their name is remembered. And it's sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. Sometimes it's because they, they, they're going to do something so uh, horrific or something so, so great of a crime, something so uh, terrible in this world that they want to make the news and, and be famous for blowing something up or murdering people or whatever the case may be but there's also people who are very narcissistic on the other side who say i, I want to do something i want to do you know be this this company you know uh, ceo or i want to start my own company i want i want to be known i want to I, I want people to know me and i want to do this for me and my family and again while there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and there's nothing wrong with setting goals there, there's a very important wrong when our motivation is that 
And the, 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 the careful line that we have to, to walk as Christians, especially when we're raising kids or seeing grandkids come up, is, is to make sure that they understand some of the verses that we're going to talk about this morning. Because we want our kids to, to understand responsibility. We want our kids to understand the importance of, of taking care of business and, and, and being a good steward of what God's given. We want our kids to understand the importance of, of, of raising a family, leading a family, all those things as they grow up. But sometimes I think that we, we become misdirected even in our parenting. And we want our kids to be something so that they're something. There's not very many parents that we want to pray prayers like, God, use my kids in whatever way you want to use them. Even if it means sending them to a foreign field where they may have to lay their life down as they're trying to serve you for all of eternity. There's a lot of parents that say, I want to pray that prayer. I want my kid to, 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 to graduate high school, and I want them to go to college. I want them to have a great job. I want them to have a wonderful family. I want them to do this, and I want them to do this in the world. I want them to do this. But there's, there's not a lot of, uh, of parents that are saying, God, just use my child. Use my kids for your honor and your glory, whatever that looks like. Scripture helps us in this area of being self-absorbed and wanting credit and, and, um, and, and kind of focusing on us. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. He could have came on the scene in, in, in the clouds at the first coming. He could have, he could have broken the sky open and, and, and with all the, the glory and the holiness that his person radiated. He could have come like that. He could have come with, with all the angels of heaven. But he chose to humble himself and come in the form of a man, it says... In the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians chapter 3 has a couple of verses that are very important. It's easy to say these things and memorize these things. But listen to what the words say. And whatever you do in word and deed or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work heartily, sincerely, with everything, all your might, as for the Lord and not for man. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it says in, in verse 19 that uh, you're no longer your own because you're bought with a price. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. A great reminder and challenge for all of us as, as we live in a world and in a culture that is, is promoting self and selfishness and, and self-exaltation. It's, 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 it's important for us as 
followers of Jesus Christ to do exactly what Philippians said, for us to take on the mind of Christ, who, who being, even though he was God, he humbled himself and became a servant to all, and became obedient, even unto death and the death of a cross. I think it's important for us to remember that one of the points from last week, again, that Peter saw himself as unworthy in his repentance, his humility, his availability to the Lord, and his faith put him in the position to be used by God. Such important things, his repentance, his humility, and his availability and faith. Put him in that position for God to use him. Peter wasn't like, look, okay, I'm the loudest one in the room. Okay, I, 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 you know, I've, I've walked on water. Okay, you know, <laughs> Peter wasn't the one like that. He, he knew he was unworthy. He had gone down that road. He had heard the cock crow. He, he, after three times denying the Lord, he had gone back. He had heard those words, that, 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 that calling to come back, and he had repented. He had made himself in humility available to the Lord, and God used him. So Peter, having this captive audience, says, don't marvel and think anything special about us. It's not about us. goes on in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go, Pilate was going to let him go, but you denied it, and, and you, you sentenced him to death, but you denied the Holy One and the Just One and, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, Peter says. And his name, it's his name, through faith in his name, that has made this man strong, whom you see and you know. Yes, faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness, this complete health in the presence of you all. It, Peter is very clearly saying, look, don't be mistaken. It is nothing about us, but it is about the just one, the holy one. Is it a, it, it's about the, the one, the prince of life, the one that, that you, you put on the cross and, and was crucified, but God raised him up from the grave. It's him. It's in his name. It's the power in his name that's made this man completely whole. The powerful name of Jesus. He causes the blind to see, the, the deaf to hear, of course, the lame to receive their strength. This Jesus has changed this man's life, is what Peter was saying. And what's amazing is 2,000 years later, this is still the exact same way that it works. 2,000 years later, it's still in the name of Jesus that people are healed, that the dead are made alive. Number two, our greatest need is fulfilled by God's grace and faith in Jesus. The same exact thing that was this man's greatest need, it wasn't that he would be able to walk, and we talked about last week, walk and, and, and have a family and have a job and support himself and not be a beggar anymore. To be able to, it was, that wasn't the man's most important need. The, the man's most important need was to be able to walk in intimacy with, a, in, in relationship with the Lord. And it was because of God's grace and his faith put in the name of Jesus that this man was made whole. Acts chapter 4, we'll eventually get to it, but we've mentioned it already. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, as I said a while ago, God has highly exalted him, so to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, this man's greatest need was met in Jesus Christ. His greatest need was a relationship with God like he had never had before. And, and what we don't get in, in all of this is, is how things worked at that point in time, right? Jesus was just crucified. He just rose from the dead. But every Jew knew at that point in time their relationship with God pivoted on the temple. They, they knew that that's how God had, had given them access to him and an intimate relationship with him was granted to them through the temple and through the, the sacrifices, through the ceremonies. It was all pointing to Jesus. Jesus came and had just fulfilled that. And so Peter was telling them, look, it's all about Jesus, even for this man. But what does this man do? Immediately when he receives his strength, what happens? Because of his faith, what does he do? For the first time, he goes into the temple. For the first time, he has access to intimacy with God. For the first time, he's able to be in a real relationship with God. Again, the temple represented the right way to the relationship with God. Jesus being the fulfillment of all of this, Jesus being the fulfillment of law, the express person of God, the express heart of God, met this man's need, and he runs to the Father. He runs to the temple. It's only available to those who by faith put their confidence in God, again, whether it was the temple and the now, of course, in Jesus Christ alone. This man who was outside of that experience, had never known what it was to be there as the, the singers were singing and as the sacrifices were being made and, and, and as the ceremonies were being performed and had never gone and, and been able to have the, 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 the ceremonial washing bath before the sacrifice, before the offerings. Never had the opportunity to, to walk into that type of intimacy with God. And now, because of his faith in Christ, all of that has changed. And again, it's still the same name today that saves and produces a life of, of praise. Romans chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With a heart one believes and is justified, with a mouth one confesses and is saved, the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is where Peter shifts his message. Jesus, the name above all names, the name that saves and changes. He's able to do that for anybody. Everybody listening to him in the temple right there. Verse 17, he shifts. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. You did it, but you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Why does Peter shift like that? Why, why does he take this, you killed the prince of life. You killed him. God raised him from the dead, and it's in his name that your life can be changed. But I understand you did it in ignorance. You did it in ignorance 
But it's exactly what God had foretold by the prophets hundreds of years before. Peter tells them that he understands their ignorance of the rulers and them, themselves. But he also tells them that they actually help fulfill the very word of God concerning Jesus Christ. And so he begs them, he implores them in that regard. Point number three, God's perfect will is accomplished even in man's tragedy. Right? What, what may have hit these people, they realize we, we, we killed the prince of life. I mean, this is, this is, his blood is on our hands. You know, Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with that. They said, no, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. They, they realized, and Peter says, you, I realize you did it in ignorance, but God had a plan all along, even what looks like tragedy, even looks, what looks like a horrible circumstance. In man's eyes, God's perfect will was even accomplished in that tragedy. When we covered the life of Joseph, we studied that we, the study called Life, we saw at the end in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Again, a picture of Jesus, a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us today. And we say what, what, what man meant for evil, what looked bad in man's eyes, God worked it for good. There are things that don't make a lot of sense to us today, amen? There's a lot of things that I wish I had answers for, and I just don't. But here's where we go back to the Word of God, the unchanging, eternal Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly. You ever looked in a, a dirty mirror and you can't see clearly, can't see the whole picture. You got you to clean it off. Or, or a messed up mirror, a cracked mirror, a shattered mirror. You, you, can, it, you see through it. It's not a very clear picture. That's what he's saying. Right now we're looking in a mirror and it's, and it's foggy. It's, it's, it's muddied up. We, we, we can't see clearly the whole picture. But then Paul goes on to say, but then face to face. One day it's going to be real clear. And he goes on to say, now I know in part, I realize that in, in my human experience, the Apostle Paul, who, who had been filled with the Holy Spirit, had, had been used by God to, to start the, all the new ch the, 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 the churches there in Asia Minor. He's saying, I only know in part. There's only part of the picture, part of the, 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 the puzzle that I can see, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Again, we today, even though there's 2,000 years of church history, we only see a small fraction of the picture. When the Lord takes somebody home, why? When, when, when tragedy strikes and innocent lives are are killed when, when there's evils going on in the world and, and we can't make sense of it if, in, in our human minds. We say, why does, is this allowed? Why is this is still able to go on in this world? Listen, we only see in part. We only see the, in, the, in the mirror right now. It's, it's dim. We can't see the clear picture. We have to remember that as the great master planner, God, in all grace, the God of all grace, He's had the solution all along, and he provided the solution through Jesus Christ. And not only the solution, but also a merciful plan to use even the consequence and the sin of a fallen world to bring to pass his masterful plan. And say, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. 
you know, Isaiah chapter 61 says, you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of, uh, of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. And Jesus does that and has done that. Jesus fulfilled that. See, see, even though we can't make sense of the tragedy and even how God can use the, the, the unrighteousness of man to accomplish his perfect righteous plan, I believe if we could see from God's gracious and merciful and eternal perspective that we might be more ready to accept his will. When we, go, when we walk through it, instead of rejecting it as can't be a part of his will. As I'll be honest with you, standing right here right now, if, if, if I was able to make the decision in some of the things that we're dealing with in our world, I think we'd have a, a huge mess. If God were to say, okay, Kyle, I'll give you the choice. How is this going to work? I'd be like, that is easy. I can fix that right now, you know? Just wipe these people out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just wipe them out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've done it before, right, God? You know? But sometimes we see time go on and God work things out in a, a beautiful, better way. I said, oh, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought to use that circumstance like that. The easier way to just wipe this out or stop that altogether or whatever, you know. And Peter shared the bad news, the tragedy uh, in man's eyes. Jesus was killed by ignorant, unknowing people, unknowing sinners. Yet this tragedy in man's eyes actually fulfilled God's plan all along. And the good news for the listeners then, and the good news for all of mankind from that point forward, is that Jesus full of grace, full of mercy, is still saving, still changing, still forgiving, still transforming, and still healing people today. The key is this in verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. As Jesus was prophesied to come the first time to be the sacrifice for all of man's sin, listen, he was just the same and has just the same been prophesied to return again the second time. The first time the Bible says that he came to deal with sin, full of grace. But the second time, he's not coming to deal with sin like that. He's coming full of judgment. And he's going to deal with it in a different way. Point number four is something so important to get from this point that Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, Peter is making about Jesus here in, in his message. Point number four, the second coming of Christ is real and it's near. That Peter was trying to tell them, listen, this is, this is good news if you repent and, and you're converted. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, this is good news. He's going to come back. It's also bad news if you don't. Hebrews chapter 9, so Christ, having been offered once 
to bear the sins of many or many of all will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I love that. He's not coming back to to die on a cross again. He's not going to come back and offer forgiveness of sins. When he returns, he's going to take those of us who have placed our faith in him to be with him forever. That's what it says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's the bad picture. Here's the ugly picture. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you are suffering. The Thessalonians, we've studied this before in this church. Thessalonians were dealing with a lot of persecution. They were going through suffering. Paul was trying to encourage them in their suffering. So he said, listen, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When is God going to do that? When is God going to take care of those who are persecuting the church? When is God going to take ultimately take care and, and, and offer relief to those who are being persecuted? When is God going to finally lift the troubles from our lives? When is God finally going to once and for all deal with all the bad in the world? Paul says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, How is he going to come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus? And the bad news gets worse. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. And he may marvel that among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. I just want to say this right now. The message and the urgency to repent in light of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ was given to this crowd in the temple 2,000 years ago. That, that urgency, that the, the, the truth that Jesus was coming back And judgment was going to be upon all those who don't believe was given to those men and women 2,000 years ago. Church, it's been 2,000 years since that urgency and reminder and the truth that just as it was prophesied he would come the first time and be the sacrifice for sin, it's been prophesied that he will return a second time to be glorified among his saints, but also to bring vengeance upon all those who don't believe. If you've repented and you're a convert, you're a believer, you're a follower, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then now more than ever is the time to be urgently sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now. I mean, what a beautiful time God has allowed us even in America where our nation seems so divided, where there's so many different uh, opinions and and perspectives and, and so many people are looking to an election. The time for the church to rise up and say, All my hope is in Jesus. A a time for us to say, look, I I don't care what happens on this earth because this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Right now is the time for us to say, look, no matter what happens in this world, you can have the same hope and confidence that I have. And it's not in me. It's all in him. Right now is the time for the church to be able to urgently share the gospel. Say, what what if this person gets elected? What if this person gets reelected? I will say, I pray and hope for one, one way. 
Because I believe one way is a, 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 a clear support of biblical truths and values. And that's me. But I don't care who wins. Because it doesn't change the call that God has put on our lives. No matter who is present. It doesn't change what, it may present more opportunities if it goes one way versus the other. I don't know. Now is the time to be sharing the urgent message to repent. But are we? Are we? Are we carrying the urgent message? I'll admit to you right now that I am guilty of not having that urgency all the time. And I don't want that. I want to live daily with an urgency to tell people that they have to repent before it's too late. I don't, want to, I don't want to pass up an opportunity because of anything. Inconvenience, busyness, worry. I want to share urgently. Peter could have been stoned in that moment right then. But he saw that people were captivated. And he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to wrap it up. Verse 22. Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, from your brethren. Him shall... Uh, him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you and it shall be that every soul who, who will not hear that prophet talking about Christ shall be utterly destroyed from among the people yes and all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow as many as spoken have also foretold these days that's happening right now you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham in your seed singular all families of the earth shall be blessed to you first God having raised up his servant Jesus sent him to bless you in, here's how he sent him to bless them, in or by turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What an amazing blessing is being able to be forgiven of every sin that we've ever committed. That's the blessing of God through Jesus Christ. So Peter continues to give them the good news, the gospel, in light of the seriousness of their sins and their issues. Verse Chapter 4, verse 1, they, they, and as they spake to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. How dare you talk about people coming back to life? That's not true. And they laid hands on them, and they put them into the hole until the next day, because it was even time. So Peter and John get arrested, thrown into prison because they were preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the, gra the grave. The priests and the captains, the Levit Levitical guard of the temple, and the Sadducees specifically were not happy that they were talking about people being raised from the dead. Why? Because the Sadducees will eventually get there if the Lord wills, Acts chapter 23, didn't think that there was anything, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So in their irritation, in their frustration, they believe these guys were teaching wrong things. They throw them in the prison because of all the commotion that it caused and because they were preaching what they thought was false doctrine. But as I said in recent messages, whenever there's a persecution of the church, persecution of Jesus Christ, His Word, watch out because the true church always comes back in full force. There's always a great response from the true church. And that's what gets me excited about the days that we're living in. As frustrating as it can be, again, where we are as a nation, what things are going on, you can almost see persecution coming down the pike. 
It's a little exciting to think what will come from the, the great move of God. And so I'm not worried. I'm not saddened. I'm not frustrated in that. I, no matter what happens, I know God's going to get the victory. But, but look what it got the kingdom of God. Verse 4. How be it? <laughs> I, I love this. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. Okay, everybody gets what happened, right? 3,000 souls were added to the church that, that, that day of Pentecost, whenever they began preaching to every Jew that was gathered under heaven on that day. 3,000 people. Then the Lord was adding daily to the church such as, be, as should be saved, it says. And then they go and they see Jesus heal this man. They goes into the temple. He begins praising God, giving glory to God. Peter see, sees this captive audience. And this gives us a little indication about how many people are actually listening to what Peter said. Peter sees the opportunity and says, look, you killed the prince of life. You crucified the one that God sent to save you from your sin. But he rose from the grave. God raised him from the grave to fulfill exactly what God's plan was all along. And he's coming back, so you need to repent and be converted. These Sadducees, these religious leaders, these legalists come in, and they say, how dare you? You know, just stop preaching false truth. They throw them in the prison. But 5,000 men, what's interesting is this, only the men were counted. We're not told how many women or children were saved in that moment as well. But think about this. Through their obedience to preach the gospel, even though it put them in chains, it broke the chains of 5,000 men. Their willingness to be obedient, even to the point of being put in chains, broke the chains of sin and death for 5,000 men. Number five, and we'll close. We must faithfully and fearlessly proclaim the gospel that sets the captives free, even if it makes us a captive. So are we really that close as a nation? Could it really cost us that? I don't know, but I think that we need to be prepared. I think that we need to be a people who are fearlessly proclaiming the gospel message even if it costs us everything. A prison of man is nothing compared to the prison of sin. If we have been set free, then we're truly free. That's what the Bible says. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And it's our job as well as our joy. It's our role as well as of responsibility that we've been given. It's, it's a privilege, and it's the proclamation that we've been given to share with the whole world the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't question how, why, when, or where. We just need to obey and go. Imagine the engineering of the situation that God did here. Think about it. These disciples, Peter and John, on that particular day, at that time, through this particular gate, this particular man, Asking these men that question, one man's life changed, turning to a group of people that were gathered, even in the face of pious leaders in opposition, that brought about 5,000 plus souls being saved. Let's faithfully proclaim the gospel. Let's be the church today. 
If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the time because he is coming back. And he won't have mercy on those who have not placed their faith. He'll come with judgment. But church, if, you, if you're a Christian, please don't continue on pursuing comfort, pursuing what you want. Let's be the church and share the good news before it's too late. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to be your people and to be your people in this time. Lord, I pray that you'll just bless us now as we respond to your word. Help us now. God, help us to respond in faith. Help us to be who you've called us to be. And again, I pray there's no one watching online or no one in this place right now that will turn their computer off or walk out these doors if they're not 100% sure that heaven's going to be their home. I pray that they'll ask, they'll reach out, they'll, they'll come down to this altar, do whatever's necessary to make sure that they know 100% that heaven will be their home when they die. Lord, help us respond rightly now. In Jesus' name, amen.